Hello, and welcome to another episode of Nostalgic Mystery Radio. I'm your host, Stevie Kay, and it's my honor to bring you the radio shows of yesteryear. For this episode, I bring you P.D. James's Cover Her Face, an Adam Dalgleish mystery, where a young woman who used her body and brains to make it up the social ladder, but now she lies across the bed with bruises on her body and around her throat. Someone has decided that the wages of sin is death, and Chief Inspector Dagleish must find who that someone is. This will be a four-part series, so sit back and relax, and I hope you enjoy this Nostalgic Mystery Radio. Thank you for listening. pills. A bottle of them goes missing at about the time of the maid's murder, and now the same make of pills has been found in a coat pocket. This is part three of Cover Her Face. Good God! What is it, Doctor? Here, in my coat pocket, a bottle of... Of what? Somay. Somay tablets. Oh! <laughs> no mystery, Inspector. This is Sir Reynold Price's stuff. This was his coat. How did it come into your possession, Doctor? Well, I bought it on Saturday at the Village Fate. Rather as a joke between myself and the storeholder. And the storeholder? That was... who? Oh, that was... Uh, Mrs. Risco. Cover Her Face by P.D. James. Dramatised by Neville Tanner. With Sean Phillips... Hugh Grant, B.T. Adney, and with Robin Ellis as Adam Dalgleish. Mandy dawned colourless and bleak, an uncertain week stretching ahead. Deborah had ordered half a dozen newspapers, whether as a gesture of defiance, I couldn't help wondering, or out of genuine curiosity. Chief Inspector Dalgleish had locked Sally's door, but kept hold of the key, and he made frequent visits there. He offered us no explanation of what he found or what he hoped to find. At midday, the telephone rang for the twentieth time that morning. This time, Sir Reynold Price. The whole thing's disgraceful, my dear lady. The police have been here, too, you know. Wanted to know about some pills Epps had prescribed months ago. Extraordinary. Then Inspector Chappie seemed to think I ought to remember how many I took and what happened to the others. I ask you. I told him, I said, I've got better things to do. How very tiresome for you, Sir Reynolds. I'm afraid this business is causing a lot of trouble to everyone. Yes, raking up a lot, too. They were asking about that spot of bother we had at St Mary's two years ago. I wonder how they got on to that. Well, that Dalgleish fellow wanted to know why you weren't on the committee. Told him you'd resign when we had the trouble. Then he asked why we hadn't got rid of Liddell at the time. I said to him, my, my dear chap, you can't just chuck a woman out after 25 years' service. Anyway, it wasn't as if there was actual dishonesty. Muddle, yes, but anyway, I, I told the man we'd had Liddell before the committee, then sent her a letter confirming the new financial arrangements. Did he ask why I resigned? Well, I told him, I said, you thought we should have turned the home over to one of the national associations. Well, I just thought it was time he handed over a difficult job to trained and experienced people. That's what I told him. You'd lost confidence in the Liddell woman. You may well have been right. But Lady Price was keen on the home, practically founded it, so I, I, I couldn't just hand it over. I had no doubt that Dalgleish's mind was now busy with a new theory. Yet how was it possible? The mugs and cups for those late-night drinks were certainly standing out by ten o'clock, but Miss Liddell had never been out of my sight. We'd stood together in the hall with the doctor and watched that glowing, triumphant figure carrying Deborah's cup up to bed. 
Whatever Miss Liddell had made of Sally's accusations and half-threats earlier that evening, she couldn't have done anything about it, not possibly. I dismissed the thought, and succumbed instead to the insistent demands of the household routine. Monday was when I visited the village stores. I saw no reason at all to the custom. Oh, good morning, Mrs. Maxey. I didn't expect to see you here today. Life must go on, Mr. Wilson. I suppose you're right. It's a terrible business, though. The village is full of it. Well, that's only natural. Here you are, Mr. Wilson. It's all on the list. Would you put it together for me, please? Of course, ma'am. I've uh, got my own thoughts about it, Mrs. Maxey. Have you? Oh, yes. Oh, yes, indeed, ma'am. Derek Pullen. That's who they should be looking at. Derek Pullen. I'm afraid I don't know what you mean, Mr. Wilson. Oh, I'm saying nothing, mind you, ma'am. Let the police do their own work, I say. But if they bother you up at Martingale, just ask them where Derek Pullen was going last Saturday night. You ask them that. <laughs> he passed here at twelve or thereabouts. I saw him myself from the bedroom window. Timid, spotty boy. But why should that have anything to do with Sally Jupp's death? Oh, I'm saying nothing, Mrs. Maxey. Derek Pullen. I know who you mean... His mother comes to the Women's Institute, and doesn't his father work for Sir Reynolds on one of his farms? That's the lad. Mr. Wilson, accusations like that could harm many innocent people. If you have information, I think you should give it to Inspector Dalgleish. It, well, the vicar sent me up here. I told him what had happened, and he said for me to tell you. Quite right, Johnny. Well, then? You a real Scotland Yard detective? Well, don't I look like one? Not much. Oh, sorry to disappoint you. The ones in the films are much more exciting. Well, excitement gets rather spread out in real life. Still, something rather exciting happened to you at the fete, didn't it? No, it was boring most of the time. Tell me. Well, our Sunday school class was supposed to be helping with the teas and the washing up. You know, I was among the first there, and we did quite a bit. Then the others started rolling up and we thought it was their turn. So I took some sandwiches and cake and went off to Bocock's stable. What, to see the horses? Nah, to go up to the loft and read my comic. And then? After a bit, I heard voices down below. There were two of them. What did you do? I hid, of course. I got behind a bale of straw in case they decided to come up. And did they? Yeah. Just as well you hid then? Yeah. And what happened then? Well, not much. I only had one bun left by then, so I just sat and nibbled it. I tried to make it last till they went away. And these visitors of yours, did you see them? One of them was Sally Jupp. I saw her hair as she came up through the trap door. Are you quite sure, Johnny? Well, certain. I knows her. I knew her quite well. And the other person? It were a man, but I never saw his face. And what were they saying? They were arguing. I don't rightly know what about. I couldn't hear all that good because of the hay. I did hear someone say, 40 pound. 40 pounds. Anything else? Well, I remember Sally saying, keep your head, because it sounded a bit funny. Keep your head. Keep your head, she says, and watch for the light. And then? Then they left. Sally opened the trap door and went down first, and the man went after her. When I looked out, the trap door was just coming down. It must have been the man doing it, cos Sally had already gone down the ladder. But all I saw was a hand in a brown glove. A hand in a brown glove. Now, that really is exciting, Johnny. For as much as it hath pleased Almighty God of his great mercy to take unto himself the soul of our dear sister here departed, 
We therefore commit her body to the ground, earth to earth, ashes to ashes, dust to ground. Ensure a certain hope of the resurrection to eternal life. Surely that's the woman who identified Sally at the inquest. I think you're right. Felix, let's drive her home. Buses are dreadful at this time of day. It might be worth having a word with her. I'll bring the car around. All things to himself. How do you do, Mrs. Proctor? You're Sally's aunt. I recognise you from the inquest. That's right. I shouldn't have come, really. Mr. Proctor wouldn't like it if he knew. I must get back quickly before he comes home. Perhaps I can help. Mrs. Riscoe and I were wondering if you'd like a lift. There'll be a long wait for a bus. Well, that's really very kind of you. If you're sure it's no bother. It'll be a pleasure. Look, here she is. Hello, Mrs. Proctor. Do get in the front next to me. There you are. This is very good of you. Hope I'm not taking you out of your way. Not at all. You live just outside Canningbury, don't you? We go through there on our way to London. This must be an awful time for you, Mrs Proctor. I won't be able to tell Mr Proctor I'd been to the funeral. She's made her own bed, let her lie on it. That's what he says. You can't blame him. We treated her and Beryl just the same, as if they were sisters. There was never any difference between them, never. I'm sure there wasn't, Mrs Proctor. Never. We brought her up decently. Wasn't always easy. She wasn't an easy child. Well, I used to think it was the bombing, but Mr Proctor he wouldn't have that, even though it was a V1 that did for her mum and dad. Her other kids came through the war all right, used to say. So that's how you came to bring her up? Well, there wasn't anyone else, really. Poor little mite. Until she was ten, she was the only child. Then Beryl came along. But we never made any difference between them. Now this. The police asked who the man was, but of course we couldn't say. The, the man who killed her? No, no, the father of the baby. Though I suppose they thought he might have done it, but we couldn't tell him anything. I don't mind telling you. Why should I? I did go out for a walk last Saturday night. I often do. I've got accountancy exams coming up. I like to take a bit of fresh air before I go to bed. Now think, Derek. Did your walk take you past Martingale? What if it did? I'd like you to take a look at this envelope. It's addressed to you, Mr. Derek Pullen. Yeah, it's mine. It's from a pen friend of Venezuela. You can see from the stamp. There's nothing wrong with that, is there? Where did you find it? In Sally's room. It's not the stamp that interests me, Derek. It's the writing on the back. Turn it over. Those three dates. Is that your writing? Yeah. What do they mean? Well, about a month ago, she asked when I could meet her. I jotted down some dates for her. She used to lock her door and come down the drainpipe, didn't she? We found her palm marks on the pipe. All we did was sit in the old stable block and talk. Just talk? Well, we walked in the garden once or twice. We didn't make love, if that's what you was thinking. I suppose all policemen have dirty minds, but she wasn't like that. What was she like? Well, I think she was lonely. She missed the other girls at St Mary's. <laughs> she was a wonderful mimic. I could almost hear Miss Liddell talking. That day she went up to London. You looked after the baby, didn't you? Yeah, that's right. I took a day's leave from the office. It was all above board. 
But she could have left him at Martingale. Mrs. Bultitaff would have looked after him. Why all the secrecy? Well, Sally liked it that way. She liked things to be secret. I think that was half the thrill in sneaking out at night. Those glasses, Derek, they aren't your normal ones, are they? What happened to the ones you usually wear? I... I, I lost them. That is, I, I, I broke them. I'm having them mended. Did you break them at the time you got that bruise over your eye? Yeah, yeah, I, I knocked into a tree. <laughs> Did you just? The trees round here seem particularly hazardous. Dr. Maxey grazed his knuckle on one, I'm told. Could it have been the same tree, I wonder? I suppose the police asked a lot of questions about where you were on Saturday night, Mrs. Proctor. Oh, I told them. I was at home with Beryl. I remembered all about Saturday, all right. It was a funny day, really. It started so oddly. Well, Miss Liddell phoned us in the morning to talk to Mr. Proctor. Beryl answered. But Miss Liddell hadn't been in touch with us for months. Not since Sally took her new job. I expect the police asked Mr. Proctor where he was on Saturday night. We weren't likely to forget. That was the night he had his accident. He wasn't home till 12 and he was in a proper state. His lip all swollen and the cycle bent. He'd lost his watch too. Good heavens. How did it happen? He came off at the bottom of a hill, somewhere Finchworthy way. He was coming down fast and someone had left broken glass in the road. Course it ripped up the front tyre. Landed in a ditch, he did. Might have been killed. Must have been terribly worrying to see him in that state. Oh, it was. I'd been worried anyway, he was so late. Half past eleven, I'd gone to bed. I must have slept a little, but I got up when I heard him. It was midnight already. His face looked awful, streaked with blood. Oh, dear. And he was shaking all over. Poor chap. I made him a cup of tea while he had a bath. It must have been half past twelve before we were in bed. He's still shaking up by it even now. I bet he is. And then to have the police arriving next day to tell us about Sally. No, we shan't forget that night, Nari, I can tell you. Only one thing, Martin. I can think of half a dozen oddities in this case. Soda? Oh, no, no, not for me, sir. Quite right, too. The only way to savour a malt or any other whisky, if come to that, is to take it neat. Thank you. Well, what do you think? Oh, it's very good indeed, sir. It's most unusual. <coughs> the case, Martin. Oh. Tell me, what is it that struck you as particularly odd? Well, it's why Dr. Maxey went to all the trouble of fetching Mr. Hearn to help him with a ladder. It isn't very heavy. The quickest way to the stable block would have been down the back stairs. Instead of that, Maxi goes off to find her, and it's almost as if... as if he wanted a witness to the discovery of the body. It's certainly a possibility. No, oh, Sam Bocock did confirm Dr. Maxi's story to some extent. No, Sam Bocock would confirm anything the Maxis said. You heard him. They're good people up at the house. He'd maintain that at the judgment seat. I thought him honest, sir. Of course you did, Martin. You're a countryman. I'd have liked him better if he hadn't looked at me with that half-pitying expression you sometimes see on old country folk. No doubt with your background you can explain it. I wouldn't try, sir. Just as well. I don't think I'd like the explanation. No, we're not likely to get anything very helpful from Bocock. Well, we've got something, sir. Remember he told us he'd seen young Johnny Wilcox slipping out the tea tent at about ten past four. And that means the meeting in the stable loft took place before 4.30. Yes, and that fits in with Sally Jupp's subsequent movements, including her appearance in the tea tent and a duplicate of Mrs. Risco's dress. Yes. She must have changed after that meeting in the loft. No one saw her in it before. And there's another funny thing, sir. Why wait till then? 
She must have had the dress some time. Yes, perhaps something said during the meeting led her to do it. Or perhaps it was tied up with this curious business of her marriage. You mean the vicar's story? Can we believe him, sir? Why not? According to him, Sally Jupp knew on Thursday that she was going to be married, yet young Maxie only proposed on Saturday night. Yes, that is odd, sir. Talking of Dr. Maxie's love life, Martin, I haven't shown you this yet. It arrived yesterday morning. Posted from Bexhill on Sea. Dear sir, I think it my duty to inform you that a Mr. Maxie stayed at this hotel last May the 24th with a lady he signed for as his wife. I have seen a photograph in the evening clarion of the Dr. Maxie who is mixed up in the Chadfleet murder and who the papers say is a bachelor and it is the same man. I would be grateful if my name and the name of my hotel, which has always catered for a very good class of person, could be kept out of this. Yours faithfully, Lily Burwood. Mrs. I sent young Robson down there. He had a couple of photographs with him taken at the fete. Mm. They confirmed a rather interesting little theory of mine. Any idea who young Max's partner in sin was? Would it be Miss Catherine Bowers, sir? Full marks, Martin, full marks. And that was nearly a year ago, sir. Is it still going on? Unlikely, but it's a complication. Miss Bowers may easily have been hurt by what happened. Yeah. I think she's desperate to marry Dr. Maxie, and her chances have now increased since the removal of Sally Jupp. Good. So, what do we make of our Mrs. Proctor? Poor woman. Completely under the thumb of that husband of hers. But she's certainly given us something to think about. Do you really want to go on with this detection business? Why ever not? Only that you might discover facts you'd prefer not to know. Such as that a member of my family's a murderer. I didn't say that. You've been very careful not to, Felix. But I'd prefer honesty to tact. It's what you think, isn't it? Speaking as a murderer myself, it's a possibility. You mean the resistance? That was war. Anyway, you didn't kill women, did you? I killed two. At the time, it seemed necessary. Well... I suppose killing Sally Jupp seemed necessary to someone. Then why not leave it to the police? If we start interfering, there's no knowing what the consequences might be. At the moment, the case is wide open. Stephen and I got through Sally's window, so could almost anyone else. The only thing connecting this crime with Martingale is those sleeping tablets. And they needn't be related to it. Other people had access to the stuff. No, the most likely interpretation a jury would put on this case is that someone known to Sally got through her window and killed her. Who knows? She may have admitted gentlemen callers that way on previous occasions. Curiously enough, I can't believe that. I'd like to, for all our sakes, but I don't believe Sally was promiscuous. I never liked her, but I don't want to buy safety for me or the family at the cost of blackening the poor little devil's reputation. Now she's not here to defend herself. I think you're right, but there's no need to make that Dalgleish fellow a present of your opinions. Let him reach his own conclusions. This whole case may run into the sand if we keep cool heads and our mouths shut. Samay is the greatest danger. Yeah, and the hiding of the bottle seems to connect it to the murder. Even so, it was your cup, not Sally's, that the drug was put into. Anyone could have done it. Even me. Even you. It could have been put there by Sally. She may have taken the mug to annoy you. I think she did. But she may have put the drug into the cocoa simply because she wanted a good night's sleep. It wasn't a lethal dose. In which case, why was the bottle hidden? Either because someone believed the drug was connected with the murder and wanted to hide the fact, or because someone knew perfectly well that it wasn't and wanted to implicate the family. 
You in particular, since your stake was used to mark the hiding place. There's a pleasant thought for you. Felix, if they never solve this crime, can you really imagine us living on happily at Martingale? Don't you ever feel that you must know the truth? Honestly, now. Don't you ever convince yourself that Stephen did it? Or I? You? With those fingernails? <laughs> Never. Her neck was heavily bruised, but it wasn't scratched. Stephen's a possibility. So are Catherine and your mother and Martha. So am I. In fact, the excess of suspects is our greatest protection. Let Dalgleish take his pick. Will I pick Catherine? It isn't likely, though. I can't see her capable of murder. And the rest of us are? Even Mother? She particularly, if she thought it necessary. Hello? Is that Mrs Proctor? Yes. Yes, it is. This is Stephen Maxey speaking. Hello? Are you still there? Yes. Yes, I'm here. Mrs Proctor, would you rather not talk to me? Shall I speak to your husband? Uh, no. There's no need for that. Mr Proctor doesn't want to talk about Sally. What do you want? Uh, it's quite simple, really, Mrs Proctor. I'd like to know where Sally was working when she became pregnant. Is that all? Yes, that's all. Oh, I don't mind letting you know that, but it'd be best if Mr Proctor doesn't know you phoned. You, you won't tell him, will you? I promise. It was the Select Book Club in London she was working for at the time. In the city, uh, Falconer's Yard. You're Stephen Maxey, aren't you? Saw your picture in the Echo. People are saying you killed Sally Jupp, did you? No, I did not, Miss Mulpaz. And neither did any member of my family. Well, that's reassuring. Now, what can I do for you? How long did Sally work here? Oh, about three years. I want to know about her. It's the child, really. Now he's without a mother, it seems important to find his father. You're meddling a bit, aren't you? Why not leave it to the police? They've been here on the same tack. The police have been here? Of course. What did you expect? Cheer up. You might beat them to it. Not that I can help much. I told the police all I know, but I could see it wasn't getting them very far. You couldn't suggest who the father might be? Not at all. We had no man on the premises at the time. Still don't. She certainly got herself pregnant while she was working here. But don't ask me how. What was she really like, Miss Molpaz? You should know. You were in love with her. If I had been, I'd be the last person to know. But you weren't? I wanted to go to bed with her. Would you call that love? I suppose not. I wouldn't really know, never having felt more than that for any woman. I'd settle for that if I were you. I doubt you'll ever feel much more. Your kind don't. What did I think of her? Let me see. Sally Jupp was pretty, intelligent, uh, ambitious, sly and insecure. Sly? What made you think she was sly? I've got eyes in my head. We're rather a collection of has-beens in this office, let's be honest, shall we? But she was clever, our Sally. Yes, Miss Titley, certainly, Miss Croom. Can I get it for you, Miss Melling? Demure as a nun and respectful as a Victorian parlour-maid. She had the poor fools eating out of her hand. They bought her birthday and Christmas presents, and then they began vying with each other for her favours. In no time she had them in a tizzy of jealousy. It all played havoc with the work. What happened when Sally became pregnant? Nothing. No one knew. She left when she must have been about four months. 
frankly, it was a relief. So you've no idea who the man was or where she could have met him? Not at all, except that they met on Saturday mornings. Saturday mornings? Yes, I got that from the police. We don't work on Saturdays, but apparently Sally told her uncle and aunt that we did. She came up to town every Saturday morning as if coming to work. A neat deception. Oh, she was a clever little liar. And see where it got her. Were you surprised to hear of her death? At first. But when I thought about it, I was less surprised. She seemed to be a natural murderee. What did surprise me was the news that she was an unmarried mother. She seemed too careful, too scheming for that kind of trouble. Oh, Dr. Maxey? Dr. Maxey? Hello, Collie. What's up? A message for you, Doctor, from a Miss Catherine Bowers. Please ring home. It's urgent. Stephen? Thank God you've rung. Look, can you come home at once? Why? Is it Father? Your father? No. No, it's Deborah. What's happened? Someone's tried to kill her. Deb, are you all right? What happened? Good afternoon, Dr. Maxey. It's all right, Stephen. I'm okay. What happened? Where's Mother? She's upstairs with your father, Stephen. She spends most of the day with him now. We told her Inspector Dalgish was making a routine visit. There's no need to add to her worries. What about Deborah? Will someone tell me what happened? Would you examine her throat, Doctor, and let me know what you think? I'd prefer not to. Dr Epps treats the family. I'm asking you to look at her throat, not treat it. This isn't the time to indulge in spurious professional scruples. Do as I say, please. <sighs> Very well. Hmm. Fairly extensive bruising. No nail scratches and no thumb marks. He grasps the neck with both hands. But the larynx is almost certainly untouched. In other words, a rather amateur effort for our brutal killer? If you care to put it like that. I do care. How can we believe that the person who killed Miss Jupp couldn't do better than this? What do you think, Mrs Risco? I'm sorry you're disappointed, Inspector. Perhaps next time he'll make a better job of it. I suggest that this assailant knew his job rather well. Knew where to apply pressure and how much pressure to apply without causing harm. I must say you seem to be taking it very coolly. If Mrs Risco hadn't managed to shake herself free and scream, she wouldn't be alive now. Oh, I'm treating the attack very seriously, I assure you. Where were you last night, Miss Bowers? Helping to nurse Mr Maxey. Mrs Maxey and I were together for the whole night. And Dr Maxey was in London. This attack has certainly happened at a convenient time for you all. Did you see this mysterious strangler, Mrs Risco? No. I wasn't sleeping very deeply. I think I was having a nightmare. I woke up when I felt the first touch of his hands on my throat. I could feel his breath on my face, but I couldn't see him. When I screamed, he made off through the door. I turned on the light and screamed again for help. I was terrified. Somehow my dream and the attack had merged together. Have you any idea how this person got in? It could have been through one of the drawing room windows. Mr Hearn and I went into the garden last night and must have forgotten to lock it. Uh, Martha mentioned that she found it open this morning. So it comes to this. You and Mr Hearn take an evening walk in the garden of a house where there has recently been a murder and leave a French window open when you come in. In the night, some unspecified man comes to your room, makes an inexpert attempt at strangling you for no apparent motive, and then vanishes. Your throat is so little affected that you are able to scream. You're not suggesting Mrs Risco try to strangle herself, I hope. 
Those bruises can't have been self-inflicted. So who did inflict them? Do you really suppose that a jury wouldn't believe that this is related to the murder? Oh, I don't think a jury will be asked to consider that possibility. I've nearly completed my investigation into Miss Jupp's death. What happened last night has made no difference to my conclusions. I think it's time the matter was settled, and I propose to take a short cut. If Mrs. Maxey has no objection, I want to see you all together in this house at eight o'clock tonight. Did you want something of me, Inspector? Ah, Mrs. Maxey, I should like to see everyone here at eight o'clock this evening, please. Suddenly I sensed someone behind me in the doorway, and I turned. It was Martha. She stood white and shaking, her mouth opening and shutting soundlessly. The young man behind her stepped past into the room. He was very tall, over six feet, and his fair hair cut short was bleached by the sun. A rucksack was slung over his shoulder, and I noticed he carried a brand-new airline bag in one hand. He dominated the room with the power of his animal health and virility. It seems I've given your maid a bit of a shock. I'm uh, sorry to butt in like this, but I guess Sally never told you about me. The name's James Ritchie. Sally will be expecting me. She never told me what sort of job she's got exactly, and I don't want to cause any uh, inconvenience. But I've come to take her away. I'm her husband. In episode three of Cover Her Face by P.D. James, dramatised by Neville Teller, Robin Ellis played Dalgleish, Sean Phillips, Mrs. Maxey, Hugh Grant, Felix, Beatty Edney, Deborah, David Thorpe, Stephen, Una Beeson, Catherine, David Holt, Derek, Jilly Mears, Mrs. Proctor, Susan Sheridan, Johnny and Mrs. Burwood, Steve Hodson, Sergeant Martin, John Fleming, Wilson, Jonathan Adams, Sir Ronald, Linda Poland, Miss Malpass, John Church, the Reverend Hinks, and James Telfer, Ritchie. The director is Matthew Walters. Hmm, there's nothing like an unexpected relative turning up to completely throw even more confusion into the pot. The final chapter of Cover Her Face is tomorrow in the Crime and Thrillers Hour. been a nostalgic mystery radio presentation i hope you enjoyed this episode please feel free to like and rate this podcast on your favorite app also there's a nostalgic mystery radio youtube page for your perusal to subscribe to you can contact me by emailing me at nostalgicmysteryradio at gmail.com i hope you have a blessed day or evening and again thank you for listening